We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and this has been a great series so far. This is week 11. If you can believe that, we've had 11 weeks on the book of Acts, and we have just barely scratched the surface of what this book has to offer. It is an amazing book, and I'm so glad we're going through it. I'm excited also that this is week 11, because the number 11 has always been really special in my life. It keeps popping up every every so often and it reminds me of how cool things get to be for example i was born on december 11th my wife and i were married in 2011 my first son asher was born on august 11th i've worked here for almost 11 years oceans 11 is one of my favorite movies 11 is the character on stranger things which is one of my favorite shows my favorite guitar amp goes up to 11 and i have roughly 11 dollars in my checking account so as you can see the number and I'm, i easily have like five times more than that it's cool but then uh, the real the real reason i'm excited about uh, preaching week 11 is that i don't have to preach week 12. Uh, Pastor Callie gets to preach that next week, and she gets to talk to you, there she is, about the eunuch who gets baptized. And I, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm really setting you up uh, for that quite a bit, but I'm just super glad I don't have to talk about that because I don't think I could get through it without laughing. <laughs> and you know you're the same, so don't, don't pretend that you wouldn't either. Okay, so today uh, we are going to talk about Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 25. And to set this passage up, first of all, there's a lot in this passage, and I really wish I had time to go through it all and pick it apart and talk to you about it. But our beautiful worship pastor who was just up here told me I only have about a half an hour, so I had to be pretty picky and choosy about the things I'm going to talk about. So before we actually get into our message and our passage today, I wanted to preface it by setting the context of where we are in the book of Acts. So if you remember, uh, last week, Pastor Irene preached to us, and at the end of her passage, uh, we read about the stoning of Stephen. So hopefully you guys remember that. Uh, if you didn't, that's, I'm telling you, that's what happened. It's in there. Uh, Stephen was stoned at the command of Saul. And then after that happened, he went door to door and dragged men and women into prison simply for believing in Jesus Christ. And I want, I want us to understand the context and the setting of what this looks like so that we can put ourselves in the shoes of that early church in Acts. So let's, let's pretend, for example, that one of our volunteers that serves here, okay, not, not a paid pastor, not a paid staff member, not a board member, just a volunteer who serves here on a regular basis because Stephen you see, Stephen wasn't an apostle. As we learned about a couple of weeks ago, Stephen was one of the seven that was chosen to help feed the poor and the widows. So he wasn't some high-ranking official. He was just an average volunteer who served his church and served the people. So let's pretend that a person who volunteers here has just been stoned out on Court Street in the middle of downtown Pekin. And then after that, an official from the city decides to go around kicking in doors and dragging men and women and throwing them into prison. How are we feeling right now? How are we as PFN feeling? How are we as believers in Christ feeling right now when we face that? I can tell you that I would be scared out of my mind. 
I would be scared of being stoned to death. I would be scared that my wife and I would be dragged out of our house in front of our kids, thrown into jail, and leaving our kids abandoned. That is the condition in which this early church finds themselves in. I'm not trying to start this out super heavy so that I can get you guys all emotional. I just want you to understand how they are feeling right now and what's happening here. Because it not only sets up the context for our passage that we're talking about today, it also helps us understand what kind of Christians that made up this early church. I think it's also important to understand this as well, because as we sit here in the country that we sit in, we have never, as the church in this country, faced this kind of persecution before. I'm not here to argue over over whether or not we've been persecuted in the past. I'm not here to argue over whether or not we're being persecuted right now. I'm not making a political statement. I'm not trying to be edgy. I'm simply trying to say that if you were born and raised in this country, this level of persecution is unprecedented. Right? We're all on the same page. Okay, got some nods. Fantastic. Let's pick up at the beginning of our passage at verse 4. It says, But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Okay, we're going to stop right there. We're one verse into this, and we already found out that the believers who scattered didn't scatter and go hide like I probably would have. They scattered and preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Are you kidding me? Who are these people? Right? We just read about how they're being persecuted for believing in Jesus, and they go out and do the exact same thing that they are being persecuted for. How amazing is that? I really struggled with that, putting myself in those people's shoes and then reading about what they did. And this is only the first verse. It gets better. Let's keep going. Verse 5. This is going to be a big chunk, so stay with me here. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, hashtag creepy, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one or the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. Okay, I promised, I, I promised myself I wasn't going to stop. I'm going to pause, not stop, just to pause. How cool is this? Okay, Philip is going into Samaria, and he's preaching, and people are repenting. They are believing. They are being baptized. We have Simon the sorcerer, who is deep into witchcraft and sorcery and deceiving people, decides to turn his life around and believe Philip's message. This is really cool stuff. Okay, go on. Verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. 
As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon, okay, remember Simon, sor sorcery, witchcraft, bad dude, repenting, okay, that guy. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy his power. That's weird. Do you have that? He offered them money? Okay. That's really weird. He offered them money to buy the power from them. <clears throat> and I lost my place when I turned around just then. Uh, let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. All right, that is the end of our passage. I know that was a lot to take in. It probably didn't help that I kept stopping. But there is a lot there. And we're going to go back through there and pull out some of those things in more detail. In fact, I have three lessons that we can take from this passage of Scripture, and they all apply to the concept of the gospel. Now, I have these three. I apologize. I don't have sermon notes for you prepared. I know how you guys like those. Um, that's kind of what happens when the Holy Spirit tells you to change your entire message two days before you preach it. So... Uh, I'm going to go as slowly as I can and enunciate as well as I can so that if you want to write it down, you can. So the first lesson in Jake's three lessons to take from this passage of Scripture is that the, we should proclaim the gospel in any and every situation. I'll say that again. We should proclaim the gospel in any and every situation. All right, let's go back to that first verse number four, and let that sink in a little bit. Let's put that back into our minds. Here is Saul persecuting the church, and I mean he is persecuting the church. He is trying to squash the Christian movement, and yet it has the opposite effect. Rather than stopping the spread of the gospel, the persecution ends up scattering that gospel all over the place. It's the opposite of what Saul wanted to happen. It's funny how that works, isn't it? In Romans 8.28, Paul tells us, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And friends, we have been called to his purpose. Amen. And that was the purpose of this early church, to spread the gospel. And so no matter what Saul or the government tried to do, tried to bring against them, it had the opposite effect. God used trials and persecution to expand his works faster and farther than anyone had originally thought possible. And we see that in our world today. Do you know where Christianity is growing the fastest in the world today? In the countries where Christianity is illegal to practice. 
where Christianity is illegal to proclaim, where it's illegal to speak the name of Jesus, where it is illegal to hold a Bible study in your own home and illegal to walk around with a Bible in your hands. And yet God does the opposite. He spreads the gospel faster than anyone thought possible. Do you know where Christianity is growing the slowest in the world today? Right here in the good old U.S. of A. In the USA slash Canada region of the Nazarene denomination, the growth curve that we would see has flatlined like this, straight across the board. No growth. And it's been that way for a good amount of years too. And I know some of you are going to come up to me and say, well, Pastor Jake, but it's not declining. It could be worse. No, it's, it's worse. Not declining is not the same as not growing. Do you know what a flat line means? It means death. That's right. Why do you think that is? I'm, I'm actually asking. I don't, see, I don't have any answers here prepared for you. I just want us to think about this. Why do you think it is that in countries where Christianity is illegal, it grows the fastest, but here where we are free to practice it, it grows the slowest? Those of you who are watching online, hop in the comments and type in your thoughts. Let us know what you think about this. If you're here in person, don't pull out your phones because that will be rude. But maybe at lunch, go on Facebook and join in on the conversation. We should be talking about this. We should know about this. We should be figuring out why this is happening and how we can fix it. And it's not just the persecution and trials of the church that spreads the gospel either. The same thing happens in our personal lives too. That is, if we let it. Have you ever thought about that before? That maybe there's a reason you didn't get that job promotion you were going after. Or maybe there's a reason you had to uproot your family and move across the country. Or maybe there's a reason you're struggling financially. Let's consider that maybe, just maybe, God is allowing these twists and turns in our life because he's giving us opportunities to advance the kingdom to our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers around us. God is on a big mission and we get to be part of it. In Romans 5.3, Paul says this, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance endurance and spreading the gospel amidst the personal trials in our own life. Maybe it's worth stopping and praying and looking around and saying, God, if I'm in this situation, why am I in this situation? How can I spread your gospel in the midst of this situation that I find myself in? If the church can advance its global mission faster and farther on a huge scale, then he can do the same thing in our personal lives as well in the midst of our individual trials. The second thing, the second lesson we can take away from this passage is that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone, for anyone, for all the people of the earth, no matter their background, no matter their ethnicity, their social status, no matter how much money they have in the bank, no matter where they're from, no matter what they smell like, no matter what they look like, no matter how much sin they have in their life, no matter if they're vaccinated or unvaccinated, no matter if they wear a mask or they don't wear a mask, or if they chew really loud or how much they irritate you, you are never going to find a person on this planet that Jesus did not die for. The gospel. 
the gospel is for everyone. And if you go back to verse 5, we see that Philip, who, by the way, was also just a volunteer at his church. He was one of the seven that was chosen to run the food bank like Stephen was. We see, in, we see that Philip decides to go into Samaria to preach the gospel. What's amazing about this is that people hated Samaria. It was commonly thought that Samaritans were worthless. The region of Samaria was located between Jerusalem and Galilee. And if you wanted to go to Galilee from Jerusalem or vice versa, you went around Samaria. You did not walk through Samaria because that's how much people hated it. The Samaritans who lived in Samaria were a group of people that were of a mixed heritage between Jewish and Gentile ancestry, but they were unable to claim either side as a status because they were considered unclean and unpure by both sides. And yet we see Philip, a man who most likely grew up with these preconceived notions and presuppositions about the Samaritans, we see Philip go into Samaria with the intention of spreading the gospel and telling them about Jesus. Why did he do that? Because God wants us to reach all people, even the ones we don't like as much, even the ones we don't understand as well, the ones who don't look or act or sound like we do. And we don't do it because we think we're better than anyone. We do it because we know that Jesus is better than everyone and everything that this world has to offer. Jesus is the hope and the light of the world, and we are selfish people if we keep him just to ourselves. And I'm talking to myself here too, okay? I am super, super introverted. It takes me 10 minutes just to amp myself up to make a phone call to place an order for food because I'm scared that I don't know the other person on the phone line. I gotta, I gotta plan it out. I gotta know how I'm gonna ask for the food. I gotta make sure I say all the right things and not sound like a dummy. So I get it. Sometimes it can be hard. It's hard for me as well. But we do it not because it's easy. We do it because God asked us to do it. And he continually asks us to do it. I'm sure that Philip wasn't super excited about the idea of going into Samaria. Because the Samaritans hated the Jews just as much as the Jews hated the Samaritans. The feeling was reciprocal between the two. And so I'm sure Philip was really nervous about going in there to tell him about Jesus. But he did it anyway because... God asked him to. And when he did, God blessed him because of it. He blessed Philip's ministry. We, we just read about demons that were being cast out and lame people who were being healed and people coming to believe. This was God's blessing because Philip did what God asked him to. The third lesson, and this is the final lesson. I know you're excited about that. The third thing we can learn from this passage is that we must continue to proclaim the gospel even when people don't receive it. I'll say it again for those who are taking notes. We must continue to proclaim the gospel even when people don't receive it. Let's go back and read verse 18 again, because at this point I think a, a refresher would be good. Remember, at, at this point, we were under the impression that Simon, the sorcerer we talked about, had repented and believed because he was baptized. He was following Philip around everywhere. We thought that was a huge blessing and a miracle. But when we pick up at verse 18 and we read what he says to Peter, 
we realize that's not the case. Verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them, he offered them money to buy his power. I'm sorry, that that's, I've never been offered money to give the Holy Spirit to someone. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Now it's unclear to me in the research that I did about this section of Acts, whether Simon really did repent and come to believe with Philip, or and then he kind of just backslid a little bit on that, or if he was just lying the entire time and didn't really care about repenting and believing. He, he just wanted the power that he perceived Philip to have. Uh, my gut tells me it's the latter, but that might just be me. Either way, by the time Simon got to Peter, he was clearly only thinking of himself and what he could do with the power that he saw in front of him. He wanted the same power that he perceived Peter to have. I want to be clear about one thing before we move on real quick. The Holy Spirit is not ours to give. The Holy Spirit is ours to receive. There's a big difference there, and Simon clearly misunderstood that, and I just wanted to clear that up. The Holy Spirit is only ours to receive. So Simon offers Peter money, and Peter in return rebukes him. And what he says is actually pretty rough, really. If you go back and translate uh, the actual Greek, I wrote this down so I don't mess this up. It is actually closer to, may you, I'm sorry, may your silver and you go to H-E double hockey sticks. That, that's, that's the Greek right there. I wrote it down. H-E double hockey sticks. I mean, that's some pretty serious rebuking going on there, right? Uh, keep in mind, this is, this is Simon the sorcerer. He is deep in magic and witchcraft. And in this day, in this scripture, what's telling us, it's not like it is today when we say magic, okay? It's not like the genie and Jafar from Aladdin, okay? This is like devil-worshipping stuff. This is like Simon had sold his soul to the devil so that he could gain the admiration and probably the money from these people, and he had been deceiving them for years and years with this trickery and this sorcery. So he was really in needing of, of a good rebuking for sure. But it's not what, it's not the fact that Peter rebuked Simon. It's what Peter did after that's important to note. You see, he offered Simon hope. That's hope, I wrote it with a, a capital H. The hope of Jesus, the hope of repentance through sins. That's the hope that he offered Simon. What an amazing example that we see here. You see, Peter could have just as easily written him off, right? And who would have blamed him? He could have thought to himself, man, I don't have time to waste on you. You clearly are lying. You clearly don't care about this. Why should I even bother explaining this to you? But he didn't. He stopped what he was doing to talk to this man, and he still offered hope with a capital H, Jesus, hope. 
Let me put it this way. The, the condition of the sinner's response should not and does not dictate whether we offer hope or not. We offer it regardless. I can tell you that if God gave up on me the first time I said no to him, I would have been out of luck a long, long time ago. And if God doesn't give up on us, neither should we. So let me ask you, who in your life needs hope? Who in your life needs to hear about the good news? Maybe you, you told them about them before and they said no, but the, does that mean we give up on them? Does that mean we just write them off? No. If a Satan-worshipping false prophet like Simon isn't worth writing off, then I dare you to find me someone who is. I'm not saying, <clears throat> I'm not saying that we tell them to go to double H-E hockey sticks. That's probably not going to work. We need a little bit more tact when we are talking to our friends and co-workers at the water cooler. But that doesn't mean we give up on them altogether either. And here's the kicker of this whole thing. If we look at Simon's response in verse 24, it says this, Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Simon still didn't get it. Peter offers him hope. Peter rebukes him, tells him what he's doing is wicked and wrong, tells him to repent and believe in Jesus, and it goes right over Simon's head. Doesn't get it, doesn't repent. He's still only thinking about himself. Pray for me so that nothing may happen to me. And this is the last time that we hear about Simon in Scripture. So we don't know how this story ends. But I can guarantee you that Jesus didn't stop loving him and God's grace didn't stop chasing after him because of his response to Peter. And if God doesn't give up, we shouldn't either. Who's your Simon? When I was talking about this, did, did God give you the name of someone in your life who was like a Simon? Who maybe has been written off? Who has been left without hope? Did he give you a name? I was praying that God would. I was praying that God would give you the name of someone in your life. Either someone you've known for a while or maybe someone you just met or perhaps someone you haven't met yet. I'm praying that God will give you a name and that you will pray for that person so that you can offer them hope. And if God didn't give you a name, that's okay. Pray that God does. Pray that God changes your life and interacts with your life to bring you into the presence of someone who has been written off by society, someone who has been written off by Christianity, someone who you would perceive as hopeless so that you can share the hope with them. Pray that God does that, and he will. I know a lot of us pray for our coworkers and our friends and our kids and our grandkids to receive salvation. I know that because I see your prayer requests, and I see those often, and we pray with you in that. I want to encourage you, don't give up. Keep praying for them. Keep offering them hope. Even if they've turned you down, even if they won't listen to you, don't write them off. Even if it's been years and years and years, don't write them off because I guarantee you, God hasn't. He is still chasing after them and we still need to offer that hope. Now there's actually one, one final point I want to draw your attention to here. It's not a lesson and I know you thought I was done, but 
what, preachers, what are you going to do? <clears throat> I just want to look at the last verse in verse 25, the last verse of our passage. It says, after they, that's Peter and John, had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So you see, after Peter's offer of hope to Simon and then Simon's denial of that and rejection of that, Peter and John still went on proclaiming the word of the Lord and preaching the gospel. They didn't let this one conversation with this one man get in the way or deter them from their bigger mission of spreading the gospel and preaching the good news wherever they went. You see, that is a reoccurring theme in the book of Acts. At least that's a theme I pull out of it when I read it. There's this theme of preaching the gospel no matter where you go and amidst any of the circumstances you find yourself in. We see the apostles do it. We see the non-apostles do it. That's my fancy word for ordinary Christians. I don't like calling them ordinary. I call them non-apostles. I preached about it the last time I was up here in August, and here I am preaching about it again today. I've heard other of our pastors come up here, and when they talk about their passage in Acts, they have talked about that as well. And with that in mind, I just... I felt like I should remind you, I wanted to remind you that the power of the gospel does not come from us. It is not contingent on our ability to have really good persuasive arguments. The power of the gospel does not come from our winning and charming personalities. It doesn't come from our good looks it doesn't come from our deep theological knowledge of the Bible. And even if you have all those things and you're a good preacher, it still doesn't come from that. The power of the gospel comes from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All we get to do is share in it. We get to be a part of that. The Holy Spirit does the lifting and the heavy heart work. I'm not telling you this because I think that we think the gospel power comes from us. I'm telling you this because I wanted to remind you that that burden is not yours to carry. And I think that can be a comforting thought sometimes. Because when you share the hope of Jesus Christ and it gets rejected and thrown back in your face, and believe me, if that hasn't happened, it will happen to you. It will be rejected. When that happens, it's comforting to know that that power of the gospel does not rest on our own shoulders. It does not change based on how well we presented our argument or how well we communicated the gospel. It rests solely on his shoulders. The Holy Spirit goes before us. Jesus knocks on the door of everyone's heart and God's redeeming grace chases after us. We just get to be a part of it. And here's the last thing I'll say. The power of the gospel works on both sides of the fence. Meaning, it works on those who are hearing the gospel, and it works on those who are sharing the gospel as well. There's power there for everyone. We get to reap the good news of the gospel when we share it. And those who hear about it get to read the power of it as well.
You see, we are a part of God's big mission to spread good news to every part of this earth. And when we join God in that mission and rely on his power, we are blessed because of it. Just like that church in early Acts was. They were persecuted, but they were blessed. And that's what we get to be a part of even today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for bringing us all here today. Thank you so much for giving giving me these words. Uh, I just pray right now for everyone in this room, for everyone. has been written off, someone in our life who is hopeless, someone who we can spread the hope of Jesus Christ to, the hope, the good news of eternal life, God. We want to join in on your mission. We want to be a part of this. We want to share the good news wherever we go and amidst all of our circumstances and our trials in our life. And I pray that you would give us the endurance to do so. Give us the endurance to keep praying, to keep offering, to keep preaching all the time, every time, God. Thank you so much. I love you and we love you. Amen.